G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. What God has promised will become a reality sometimes in spite of you and me. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll continue Jeff's message, How Far Should God Go? Looking at the way our earthly world continues to deteriorate as we reject the rule of God over our lives. How much does God ordain and how much of what's happening is our reaping and sowing? How far do you think God should be willing to go to save you so that you can spend eternity in the world that you were meant to experience from day one? How far would he go? This is Today with Jeff Vines and How Far Should God Go? Part 2. Light and darkness are symbols all through the Bible. Light is truth and life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Darkness is death and destruction. This trumpet has spiritual imagery written all over it. Because literally, if the sun, moon, and stars lost a third of their light, that would be the end of this planet. If they lost a significant amount of light, if you know anything about science, you know that just can't happen. It would be the end, but this is not the end. Besides that, we're given another clue in verse 3. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth. Now, immediately John is going to go back to the plagues of Egypt where when the locusts came over the Egyptians, it just blotted out the sun. It was so dark, you couldn't see the lights of heaven. Now, he goes on to say in verse 5, they were not allowed to kill them, but only torture them. And the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes. Now, as soon as I read that, that for me clears it up. Because a scorpion's victim, and we read this in extra biblical literature, will roll on the ground in agony, foam at the mouth, and grind his teeth in pain. And those are three symbols connected with separation from God, spiritually speaking. They're all biblical symbols of life apart from God. Let me give you one in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 8. I say to you that many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subject of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the Old Testament, New Testament, there's this frustration. Now, one preacher preached on this, I heard, and an old lady came to him after the service was over and said, well, pastor, you say there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in heaven, but I don't have teeth, or hell, I don't have teeth. And he said, madam, don't worry, teeth will be provided. That's not the point here. It's not the gnashing of teeth and striking the jaw. It's the teeth of regret and anger that God is in control and you don't want to have anything to do with God. You want to live your own life your way and you specifically want to be separated from the judgment of God. You want to do your own thing in your own way and you don't want to have to face any accountability whatsoever. But Jeff, verse 6 in chapter 9 says, During those days people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. Now, let me explain. Is, is, is this people committing suicide? No, I don't believe so. Basically because of the Greek word used. Let me help you understand this. If, uh, if Hulk Hogan stood in front of you and said, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> what does he mean? I'm going to hurt you real bad. But if Don Corleone from The Godfather stood in front of you and said, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> what does he mean? 
He means I'm going to cut you into a million pieces and then I'm going to start to hurt you, right? <laughs> Greek words of death, necros, which is to go out of existence, not in the sense of body and soul, but to stop your existence here. And you've got apolumi, which is to come to ruin, but you've got thanatos. Thanatos is the Greek word most associated with spiritual death. Separation between you and God. What's going on here is that there's going to come a time when because man refuses to listen to God, and he, even though, according to Romans, knows that God should be worshipped and glorified, that he turns his attention to created things and begins to worship them and each other. At that point, and it'll happen throughout human history, it's not something that just happens near the end. It's been happening since the days of Roman and before. That there will be such a turning away from God in every generation that every person will want to do what is right in his or her own, her own eyes. And God will continue to convict, but the generation will continue to quench the fire of the Holy Spirit will grieve the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says at that point in every generation, God will hand you over to your depraved mind. In other words, if you are bent on living separate from God, he will allow you to go into a realm right here on planet earth and to start to live your life in a way that is absent of God in hopes that you will really see how degrading and how futile that is that you might ultimately turn back to him. God's last effort to get you when you ignore him is to hand you over your depraved mind so that men and women do things that are unspeakable to each other in Romans 1 and 2. And so that we live beyond the parameters of God and we are murderers and killers and we wound each other and we abuse each other and you hear about things like child pornography or you hear about things like the rape of the innocent. I mean, it goes on and on. God looks down and says, okay, you are so far I'm going to hand you over to your depraved mind. I'm going to hand you over to Satan. We are going to be spiritually separated. However, the good news is this. Two things. Number one, that if you notice, the people of God in this passage cannot be touched. He says, as you go out, you can't harm the people of God. You can only touch those who are not sealed with the mark, the Holy Spirit. So you and I don't have to worry. We are saved by grace through faith. Hallelujah, praise God. And even though we might have times where we don't live up to what we think we should do, the darkness will not overwhelm us because he will keep that which we've committed to him against that day. The Lord will return and we will be caught up in the air. We will meet him and what God has promised will become a reality sometimes in spite of you and me. But those who are not sealed... The Bible clearly says that he will hand you over to your depraved mind and then darkness will flow. And there will be people who will say, I want to be separate. They will say, I want to die. What do you mean? I want to die the spiritual death. I don't want the idea of God. Take me away completely with God. I don't want the idea that God exists. And I don't want the idea that I might have to stand before him and give an accountability for my life one day. Please, please. It's a spiritual death. But it's still warfare. What do the locusts look like? Horses. Here we go. They have a crown of power and authority. They have the faces of men. They're rational beings. There's a plan. They have women's hair. Based on Jeremiah 21, 57, locusts have bristles like hair. They have lion's teeth. They're fierce and they're deadly. They look like warriors. They sound like warriors. They act like warriors. And it is a war, but it's a spiritual war. 
And that's why verse 11 says they had a king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in the Greek is Apollyon, that is destroyer. He is not only the destroyer of the physical, he is the destroyer of the soul. And when John sees all this, I believe he sits back and he thinks about it and he says, wow, the powers and influences of hell are operating in the hearts and the lives of wicked men. They're the power behind evil thrones. That's why I said to you before, there's some things that happen on planet earth for which you have no logical explanation other than it comes from some evil place for which you and I have no idea how deep the evil and darkness really is. Their objective as God turns them loose is to snuff out the light of God and to turn you away. But God's hope is that even when you began to see how desperate and devastating and futile and depressive life is apart from God that you will ultimately turn back and run to the light. Wait a minute, Pastor Jeff, would God do that really? I mean, I I struggle with that. You're telling me that God would allow Lucifer to let some of those demonic forces out and to run rampant on planet Earth. Uh, Jeff, I struggle with that. Okay, let me give you an example that might help you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it is reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. The apostle Paul understood this measure that he said the same thing should happen within the church. When there's somebody in the church that is not listening, that is living such a dark life, that is actually arrogant and bragging about their freedom in Christ, but they're doing something that is so opposite of what Christ teaches, Paul says, hand them over to Satan. And hopefully, when they go away from community and they realize how dark the darkness is indeed, they'll run back to those who love them. And God does the same thing. We're all looking for happiness, all of us. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. But you need to understand that there are dark forces that go out into the world when man insists on disobeying God. And these dark forces tell us things like, you're going to be happy by working 80 hour weeks if you gain more stuff. And then darkness falls on your family. Your happiness will come by spending all your time serving yourself and doing what makes you happy all the time and darkness falls on your soul. It will tell you that happiness comes by hoarding everything that you have, every resource and using it on yourself. And you start to realize that slowly but surely you're killing yourself. And little by little, the forbidden waters that you thought would be so sweet have destroyed any possibility you have of living a genuinely happy life. Because Jesus' view of life is a counter-perspective. This is Today with Jeff Vines. You're listening to the second half of How Far Should God Go? Let's continue now with Pastor Jeff. So darkness falls, and then the sixth trumpet blows. This is the end. Do I still have you? Okay. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, I am assuming during this series, you got to understand, folks, I could tackle this two ways. I could walk out here on stage every week and just give you three points in a sermon and say, the wrath of God is this, the wrath of God. Or I could do what I'm trying to do and explain the text to you. Now, 
you have to understand, if I take this approach, it's going to be heavy at times, and we're going to, you're going to have a little tension, but if you just keep coming at the end, you're going to think, man, Revelation, I mean, I still know it's hard, but man, I think, I think I can understand this. I think I can read it and be encouraged by it. So are you happy and willing for me to continue to do textual work rather than just come out and tell you some funny stories and say, this is what the Bible says, right? Okay, if that's what you want, here's what happens. First of all, holy angels are never bound. That's what John is thinking about. He says there's 200 million 200 million of these angels that, first of all, there are four angels released near the great river Euphrates. But as he starts to number all the angels that go out into the world, 200 million. Now in Greek, that's our English equivalent to the word gazillion. It just means a whole lot. So when people take issue with me here and say, no, this is a literal army. Well, first of all, no army has ever been or shall ever be this big. But if you culminate all the armies in humanity and history, you start to get a dent in how big this number is. So this has something to do with the sixth trumpet, not with spiritual warfare. Now we're talking about physical warfare to some degree. But what kind of warfare? I mean, who's putting it on? Who's accomplishing it? Who's behind it? Verse 17 says, the horses and riders I saw in my vision look like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. Those are just the three colors of war. So we still don't learn anything except these are the colors of warfare, but it's not spiritual now. It's a physical war. And he says, release the four angels bound by the great river Euphrates. Okay. When John hears Euphrates, here's what he hears. Euphrates River, the Euphrates River represented the boundary of civilization. In John's day, anything that was beyond the Euphrates was uncivilized and barbaric. You understand? The original eastern boundary that was promised to Abraham was to the Euphrates. Uh, The direction from which Israel would be attacked or invaded was from the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, beyond beyond the great River Euphrates. And the direction that uh, Rome felt threatened for the Parthians was also beyond the great River Euphrates. Here's a symbol that we're given to represent barbaric, cruel invaders that come from the east beyond the civilized world. But these invaders are barbaric and demonic and they kill one third. What is this? As the judgment of God goes over planet earth from the time Christ established his kingdom till the time he returns, as God touches the vegetation and the forest and the trees so that you would know don't put your faith in what is created as he touches the oceans, the seas, the rivers, and the streams, as demonic forces go out and bring darkness over humanity to get them to repent from their depravity. At the next step, the demons move in to do and take part in their favorite pastime, to physically kill the people that God loves and is trying to save. It's the demonic forces that are behind the most barbaric atrocities of humanity. As we look and we think, how could Hitler throw little babies into gas ovens? But folks, this has been happening all the way back in the days of Rome. The Roman atrocities, what Titus did when he came into the city of Jerusalem. Think of the Dark Ages, the Holocaust, the Genocides, the Goths and Visigoths, the Assyrians, the Greeks, the Romans, and every other army bent on death and destruction. The point is, when the sixth trumpet blows, the demonic forces are given permission not only to bring a spiritual darkness but to be the power behind the throne of men and women and leaders and prime ministers and presidents who will kill and take life. And when the sixth trumpet blows, 
These demonic forces are released. And he says, the horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as suffer, warfare colors. The heads of the horses, and this is important, then we're going to make a conclusion here. The heads of the horses resemble the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. Again, this is the word uh, hyacinth, which is the word for brimstone. Again, all of these colors are symbolic in the Old Testament of the divine wrath of God and physical warfare. But then he says, a third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which to inflict fury. Now, those people who disagree with me at this point say, oh, no, 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 Jeff, this this has nothing to do with the time during Jesus establishes kingdom till the time he returns. You're talking about a real battle that will take place near the end of time. And they'll say, here's how we know. And if I, can, I, can I use a little humor without sounding sarcastic? And this is where you say, I don't know, can you? I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try. Because let, let me just say something very quickly. I could be wrong. <clears throat> We're in Revelation. I'm just giving you the best understanding as I see it to the cyclical approach. There's no way I'm right about everything. Matter of fact, if I'm right about a third, I'll be, I'll be happy. But a third is a significant amount. The point is, no man or woman understands this. Don't take my excitement for to think I know it all. I don't, I guarantee it. The best explanation I have found to understand this though, and I think what we do is we get to pastors like this and we just dramatize it. Really, I've read books written where the power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict fury. Well, that's Russian helicopters that can fire out of the front and the back. That's German tanks that can go out of the front and turn around and do the same in the back. Please, John, what does he see? I want to know what he sees. Can I walk you through it? We've already been told that both spiritual and literal warfare is going to break out in every generation, and it has. We've also been told that spiritual warfare is going to break out in every generation, and it has. And the darkness is deep indeed. Think about our generation today. Would you think there's a spiritual darkness hovering over our land? Absolutely. Now, he says a third of mankind is going to be killed by this army. A great significant amount of warfare. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails. Now remember, when John has a vision and he sees a, a rider riding something, what's he going to think of? You know, no matter what kind of car you and I see, it's still a car to us. John, no matter what he sees somebody riding, it's going to be a horse-like figure. So he says, the power of these horses was in their mouths. And he said, they had a head that looked like a lion. So this is a horse with a vicious lion head. Something that, you know, like that. Yeah, I'm not doing that again, but you know what I mean. And he says, their tails were like snakes. Up above, he says, the heads of the horses resemble heads of lion. And God, what came out of their heads? Fire. Okay. Now, what image comes to your mind that blows out fire and has a long tail like a snake with which to do damage? A dragon. A dragon. Isaiah chapter 27 verse 1 says, In that day, the day of the Lord, the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great, and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent, he will slay the monster of the sea. Before the King James translation, this word was translated dragon. Dragon. And we already know he knows what a dragon is because he's going to talk about it in Revelation chapter 12. He's not seeing Russian helicopters. He's seeing a horse. Only this horse, ha, fire out of his mouth, has a long tail. He sees a dragon because the dragon is synonymous with the devil himself. 
So what he sees is that the devil is going to go out in this spiritual darkness. But at the same time, the devil, the dragon, he goes out and rides as a rider in conquest to be the power behind the throne that wipes out humanity, that kills humanity, because those are the people God loves. Now, let's end this. Thank God you say. (laughs) Revelation 9 says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. Can I ask you a question? How far do you think God should be willing to go to save you? If it's true that your life is represented by a dot on the line of eternity, if I could take a string and stretch it from here to London and across the ocean somewhere, it's a little bitty dot representing the totality of your life here compared to eternity. If God really loves you, how far should he be willing to go to make sure you don't blow it in this world so that you can spend eternity in the world that you were meant to experience from day one. How far would he go? You think he'd allow you to experience any calamity? I'm a father, and when I taught my daughter Sion to ride a bike, she fell off that bike so many times, she had little bruises and scars everywhere. But I knew that if I could just send this calamity into her life for a while, she'd be riding her bike for the rest of her life. How far do you think God should be willing to go? to wake you up? How far do you think God should be willing to go to wake the billions and billions of people on planet Earth that have ever lived? How far? I would say pretty far. If our time here is so short and the goal of our life is to spend eternity with God, I'm saying to you, you and I would bring calamity into people's lives for the greater good and so will God. God will bring calamity into your life if your temporary calamity means eternal joy. What would he do? He's already shown how much he loves you by giving what was most precious to him, his son, on the cross. He was willing to go the second mile for you. He already showed that because he who left his throne in heaven in glory came down and he hungered, he thirsted, he suffered. He was limited by time and space. Theologians call this the kenosis theory. That is that he gave up the privileges associated with being God so he could walk among you and me. I'm saying this to you. I think this is a God who will fight for you. Even if you won't fight for yourself. And the next time you think God has abandoned me because I'm suffering, I think it's time to open your eyes and say, I repent of that. God, what are you trying to do? Where do you need to get my attention? You took away money because I put my trust in money and it was leading me down a road that leads to destruction. You ended this relationship because you knew that relationship was going to land me right in a place of eternal separation. How about a little trust on the one who loves you? How about a little faith in the one who cares? How about trusting the one who can deliver and whose promises are already true and will always be true? Yes, reaping and sowing, I believe we do reap and sow a lot. What does God send into the world? Got no idea. You know why? Because in the Hebrew mind, they didn't ask the question of what does God cause, what what does God allow? Because to them, whatever happens on planet earth has to go by his desk for approval anyway. Nothing happens on planet earth without him saying, okay, I'm going to allow this. But when he does, be careful of judging God. You and I are severely underqualified for that job. You got no idea what he's accomplishing, no matter how horrendous, no matter how horrific. And you got no idea what God sends and allows 
and what is just the reaping and sowing of man. So let him be God, because as they say, the darkness that will cover the earth will not touch you. Let's all get shirts that say, can't touch this. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for uh, just uh, opening our eyes to the truth of scripture. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would uh, open our eyes to this. That if there's anybody in this room right here or listening online that has never responded to your invitation, that they would do before it's too late. That no longer would they say, oh, you know what, I'll do that next year. Or maybe when I'm older, Father, would you open their eyes to let them see that it is possible to get so far away from God that the darkness blinds us from seeing the light. You've told us in scripture that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who are unbelieving. Father, open the eyes of the blind. Give them a sense of urgency. For no man knows the day or the hour when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom and the desires of our heart become a reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. And that's the end of How Far Should God Go? For more resources and information, head to our website, that's vision.org.au, and search for Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.